Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a new episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, where we're discussing 3,000 years of longing, plus all the latest trailers and movie news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. Now, this week we're going to cover off 3,000 years of longing, which follows a lonely scholar on a trip to Istanbul, where she discovers a jinn who offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. 3,000 Years of Longing is directed by the one and only George Miller from a screenplay by Miller and his daughter, Augusta Gore, based on the short story The Djinn in the Nightingale's Eye by A.S. Byatt. You know, I didn't realise that was his daughter. Yeah. I love that creative collaboration. Very cool. Fantastic. Well, uh, 3,000 Years of Longing stars Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. I'm so excited to hear what you think of this film because we didn't get to see it together. No. I actually went to the premiere. Yes, La I do want to talk to you about that La Di Da Lee. Yes, and it featured a Q&A afterwards with George Miller, which was really fascinating. Have you heard him speak before? I have not, no. I saw him. He was weirdly involved in the Sydney Film Festival a couple of years ago when Parasite was the darling of the festival and right. he was up there with Boon Jong Ho and they're really good mates. So I love oh. that that discourse. He was interviewing him. It was absolutely fascinating. Oh, that would be really Yeah, it was really, really cool. Well, this is obviously based on a short story that Miller has been wanting to make for actual decades, yes. since the late 90s. I think the short story was written around the mid-90s. Mm. He came to it in the late 90s and, as we said, he's joined forces with his daughter as co-writer for this 
love letter to the art of storytelling. It really is a love letter to the art of storytelling. What a perfect way of putting this movie. You know, I'm always here for that. Yes. I mean, as a journalist, you would have uh, taken a lot of different lovely things out of this that are different to me. What were some of those things that you took out of it that you enjoyed as a journalist? I think not just as a journalist, but as a film goer. Lover of films, yeah. yeah. The best part of the movie, I think, is when the Jin and Alethea, played by Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba, are holed up in a hotel room while he tells her his stories for an hour, pretty much mm. 70 minutes, I think this goes on for, yeah. spanning 3,000 years. Mm. No mean feat to cover yeah. 3,000 years, is it? Yeah, and so most of the film is taken up by this storytelling, which is just mm. beautiful when you get actors of the calibre of Tilda Swinton mm. and Idris Elba, who I wouldn't have picked working so well together. I don't know why, but I just wouldn't. Sure. And the performance and the chemistry between them and just it's the beautiful. back and forth was so engaging to watch. Mm. Yeah, just on that, see, for me, this film was about ideas and not necessarily action. Mm. Because when you compare it to the marketing of this film, I went in thinking it was going to be a fast-paced, sensory, overloaded fantasy epic. And boy, was I wrong. Yeah, did you expect something Baz Luhrmann-ish? Yeah, absolutely. Because George Miller is a quirky, wacky filmmaker. Mm. You know, he has made some really interesting, compelling films. This is no different. But how it is cut together, simply in the trailer, it's a very different tonal experience to what it is marketed as. How did you settle into realising what you were watching wasn't what you were sold and how did it make you feel? Well, that's a deep question, isn't Mm. it? When I left the cinema, my husband actually said to me, that's not what I expected to watch. And I thought, what did you expect to watch? I don't Mm. think I went in with any preconceived notions. That's good. From the trailer, I thought, oh, yeah, it's going to be energetic, there's going to be action, there's going to be music, all this colour. And there is. They're all there. Yeah, they're all there, but not as much as you Mm. expect it to be. It's not overpowering. Storytelling and Mm. this back and forth between Idris and Tilda Mm. is the heart of the film and I love that so much. It really is. It really held my attention and interest Mm. because I am a fan of fantasy and storytelling as a genre in film through narration, flashbacks, just general discourse between two people and telling mm. a story. I love that genre in film. I recently re-watched Stand By Me and I love yes. the elements of the narration of one of the characters as an adult looking back and telling the story. Yep. When that's done well, it's a really beautiful experience. And do you think it was done well here? I, I do. I really do. Because at its simplest form, this film is a conversation yep. where two people examine the past to inform how they're going to move forward in the future. Mm. I found it fascinating. It's really compelling in terms of how it approaches philosophical questions, either literally through dialogue or it's implied through your experience Mm. of the story. What do you take or learn about this, Mm. quote unquote, it really is a cautionary tale. Isn't it? And then all the interpretations of that. It's a cautionary tale. I don't think I did that (laughs) accent very well. Please explain. Oh, Tilda Swinton. I was trying to do Tilda Swinton's English accent. She had a great English accent. You know, she is so good at accents. Just in general, she's freaking phenomenal. Yeah. Gosh, I can't wait to delve into their performances. And some of the themes explored through the flashbacks and the storytelling are fate, loneliness. Mm. And just the desire for connection. And using the medium of stories, there's a great line of dialogue in here that Mm. stories were the only way to make sense of our world. Mm. And these two characters are trying to explain and make sense of their own existence and their own worlds that lead to her having the power to Mm. ask for three wishes. And it's her journey of self-discovery for her to decide 
what wishes mm. she's going to make and for what purpose. To decide for herself. To decide for herself. It's all about what you take out mm. of it and what you would wish for. Mm. And there's a funny line in the film where Idris Elba talks about what women want. Right. And she says, well, what do women want? And, and I think it, the end of the story is that every woman is different. Mm-hmm. in what they want. And George Miller actually talked about that during the Q&A and said this film is an allegory because everybody's going to take something different out of it and that's mm. his intention. Did you find yourself, sorry, a bit of a tangent, mm. did you find yourself thinking about what wishes you would ask for? I didn't actually. No, neither did I. Well, well, there goes the conversation. But <laughs> we're a bit I, boring. We're a bit boring. That stuff terrifies me. Yeah. It's the whole idea of what if I won the lottery tomorrow and I had $100 million, what would I decide to do with that money? Mm. That terrifies me. The question is usually what would you spend it on? Yes. And who and why? And that's the cautionary tale. And who would you tell? Because <laughs> that will change things. The expectation of your mm. relationship with other people would change if you yeah. just all of a sudden stumbled into $100 million. Yeah. And there's those sorts of parallels between would you wish for money? Would you wish for power? Would you wish for influence? All those things. Would you wish for more wishes? Wish for more wishes, which it's a rule that yes, you can't apparently. wish for more wishes, right? Which I, I liked that context, that yeah. set up. It, uh, it made sense. <laughs> I think the least interesting part about this film, if I can go to the other end of the spectrum, mm. is when we leave this magical hotel bubble where mm. the gin and Alethea are, are having this conversation and we return to London life where it all starts to fall apart and we won't say too much about that. But mm. I felt that section of the film felt quite rushed and hasty when so much care and time was taken in revelling in mm. the joy of stories up until that point and then it was like, okay, we need to wrap this up. Yeah. See, I, I feel exactly the same way. I was revelling in the conversation and the beautiful simple setting of – her or them both in robes in this Istanbul hotel Mm. and him taking her back on these journeys over thousands of years. I felt disjointment in the story and the pacing when we went back to the UK. Yeah. And it it was a shame. It was still very enjoyable, but I wouldn't say it fell off the rails. Absolutely not. But I wanted it to just hold in Istanbul for the Mm. whole film. I think it would have been much more effective. And understand more about why things started to unravel because I didn't quite get it. I honestly think that this movie deserves a second viewing. Yeah. I'm keen to watch it again. I mean, there's so much visually to take out of it as well. Mm. The stories that uh, the djinn is telling span 3,000 years, of course, Mm. and incorporate so many familiar Middle East characters and points in time, but with some twists. So if you can bear with me, it begins with the Queen of Sheba, Mm -hmm. who the djinn is in love with. And in the original story, she's known to have visited King Solomon with gifts. And actually, in the film, she receives King Solomon, who's a bit of a trickster. Yes, a bit of a magician, if you will, too, which I liked that layer of his character. Another interesting little tidbit they put in there is that the Queen of Sheba was known to have hairy legs because she was a virgin. Is that why? Yeah. Okay. But that was in the film. Yes, no, it was, but I I didn't uh, join the dots that was because she was a virgin. Maybe I missed that bit. But that's why she was shaving her legs. Right. Okay. She's ready to get down. (laughs) Down and dirty. Down and dirty. Uh, And then it also goes through the backstabbing and the politics in the court of Suleiman the Magnificent. Mm. And then heads to the 1850s to follow an intelligent woman who is the property of a wealthy merchant of some kind. Mm. That was a bit of an uncomfortable section of the yeah, story. Yeah, was, wasn't it? Just a little icky. There are some uncomfortable bits in the film. Yeah, but with Miller's style, yeah. they're a bit of fun at the same time. Yes. There's one particular scene in the film where someone trips over. 
mm. and, and break something which reveals something underneath. Mm-hmm. And I got a bit of a kick out of out of that. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Do, like, you know, it's it's a bit confronting and uncomfortable, but it's also a bit cheeky and fun at the same time because <laughs> that's what Miller does best. Yeah, true, true. One interesting tidbit regarding how this was filmed. So Idris Elba actually wanted the stories that he's telling Tilda Swinton to be shot in their entirety before they got to the hotel scene so that they felt real and he could perform the stories to her having lived them already. Mm. I think that's so smart and authentic. And I love that George Miller went, yeah, let's do that. Let's go with it. Because he said, right, that he hadn't thought of filming the movie in that sequence. No. But it makes complete sense that if you have a character that has lived so long in an immortal life and experienced so many mm. things and stories and feelings to convince you and other characters of your plight and what mm. you're hoping to achieve for your own life, for Idris Elba to then lean into having already experienced that as an actor mm. is so important for it to be believable on yeah. screen. It's a brilliant choice. And it absolutely came across that way. It on did. screen it was very believable. They just yes. And they just have such an easy chemistry mm. together, which we'll talk about. One thing I was wondering though, mm. they don't really explain what a gin is. No. And, you know, most of us know them as genies. Yes. So do you think that needed to be told to get that history of the character? No. I was fine with the introduction of a gin because I came in knowing that it was cut from the same cloth as a genie and you get to learn and understand mm. different flavours of what a gin is and what they do, what they're capable of. I guess it's fairly obvious because he's yeah. coming out of a bottle. I mean, yes, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you know, this is a very different role to what we covered last week in Idris Elba's Beast movie. Oh, my gosh, I totally forgot. We're, yeah. we're going two for two. Yeah, we're going back-to-back Elba. <laughs> back-to-back Elba. Yeah, I don't know if his genie character would smell as good as his <laughs> Beast character, given he's been stuck in a bottle for 3,000 years. Yes, get some Airwick down there. <laughs> Airwick. Airwick. <laughs> Lee, can we talk about director George Miller yes, and please. his style? We yes. are huge fans of this Australian director, his calibre of filmmaking includes the Mad Max series, yep. Witches of Eastwick. Do you know that is an absolute classic? Don't tell me you haven't seen it. What, Mad Max? No, the Witches of Eastwick. Oh, absolutely I have. <laughs> okay. I mean, hello, Cher, Michelle Pfeiffer, Susan Sarandon, oh. please, would I be a gay man if I hadn't seen that film? <laughs> Perfect. And then Babe and then Happy Feet. And Lorenzo's Oil, yeah. really mixed genres here, but I love when he plays in this space specifically. His career is nothing if not eclectic. Yes, very di- he's a very dynamic storyteller. He's, mm. The way he moves the camera in subtle and then some not so subtle ways is keeps you alert and mm. very engaged. Sometimes things speed up a little bit. You see a lot of that yes. in the trailer. Yes. And that's why you think his movie is going to be full of that, but mm. it's, it's not. It's used very sparingly. I mean, look, he hasn't made a film for seven years. Mad Max Fury Road, absolute adventure, mm. action classic from 2015. It is the incarnate of High yeah. Octane. Yeah. So when you compare to this really subtle, gentle story, mm. it just shows his range as a really yes. compelling storyteller. And do you know what's interesting? He got his director of photography, John Seal, out of retirement mm. for Mad Max Fury Road. Yes. And then again for this film. And eventually, you know, John said, no, I'm not doing Furiosa. I'm definitely retiring Okay, now. so he's not doing Furiosa. <laughs> no, he's okay. not. But, I mean, he's done <laughs> films like Rain Man, Gorillas in the Mist, mm. Dead Poet Society, which is one of my absolute favourite films ever. Stunning, stunning movie. Yeah. I mean, they're so good together. It's almost a shame that we won't see that pairing again in Furiosa, but. 
I'm glad we got it for this one. I mean, maybe he just needs another seven years to be convinced to come out of the <laughs> yes, retirement maybe. closet. I want to share a quote that Swinton has said of Miller's style on set, which mm. I love hearing these little tidbits about how directors work in mm. a collaborative ways. She says he works with a shot list, but on the day, if you feel like offering something new, he's there for it and he'll go try it. In that way, he gives you such a robust structure that you are completely relaxed and free because or the architecture is taken care of. Mm. In the middle of it, you can have a really soft centre. I get the sense that he is really collaborative. Mm. In the Q&A, he actually made a point of talking about this and saying that everyone he works with on a set is a filmmaker. Oh, I love that. It's not that he's the filmmaker. And he used a really great analogy, which I've been racking my brains for and I really Mm. can't remember, but it was something like every footballer on a football field has a different position, but they're all footballers. Yeah, okay. And so everyone on a film set has a different position, a different responsibility, Mm. but everyone is a filmmaker and he brings everyone up to that equal level with him. And you can just imagine how that fosters such a great creative, collaborative environment. I love that so much. And another thing he said in the Q&A, which I found really encouraging and exciting, was he was talking about filmmakers coming up behind him and he was saying, just do it. You know, find tutorials on the internet for visual effects Teach yourself and if you find you have a facility for it, well, the world will tell you whether you should keep going or not. Wow. Isn't that cool? That's cool. Sponsored by Nike. Just do it. (laughs) Just do it. (laughs) But I just love that enthusiasm and that excitement and that supportive nature that he doesn't come across as elitist. Yes. He gives you permission to explore. Gives you permission to achieve. I freaking love that. I love this guy. I love him. (laughs) (laughs) You'll love him even more when you hear this quote, okay? Yeah. This is another quote that just encapsulates the cinema experience for me. And Miller has said, when we go into the cinema, it's a kind of public dreaming. Mm. You're invited into the story and hopefully you get caught up in it, sharing dreams with strangers on the big screen. Isn't that just perfection? It's magic. Isn't it what you love about film? It's what I love about film. My gosh. Can you tell? <laughs> I'm freaking jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Next time. Now, can we talk about the visual effects, unless you have any other no. beautiful insights about George Miller as a filmmaker? No. All in all, mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear your take on this. All in all, I found the visual effects very effective and well done. Yes. We're, we're talking about a $60 million budget here. Yes. It's, it's not pushing the $100, 150000000 million that we see a lot of big budget films mm. with high levels of CGI. Yeah. But there was one thing that irked me, just oh, one. Oh, okay. Well. It was quite early on in the film and Tilda Swinton is clearly standing in front of a green screen and Idris Elba's gin presenting as large behind her. You could tell. I could tell she was on mm. a bit of a green screen sort of situation. That was the only piece of visual effects, though, that took me out of the piece. See, that never jumped out at me. And mm. I was really impressed with all of those scenes when he comes out of the bottle and he's huge. Amazing. And, and all this kind of wispy smoke when he moves. And How beautiful was that? The particles, I guess yes. you call them, that are always around him and mm. shimmering. And mm. it's really, really beautiful. There's a scene later on when they're in London and there's all these, like, floating little bits of, yeah. like, skin. I guess, or particles or dust or something, you know, genie dust, let's call it, just floating around Mm. the room and you can see it so subtly. There were really nice accents of Mm. visual effects that complemented the character in the moment. I completely agree. I think the visual effects were quite minimal, but really crisp Mm -hmm. and beautiful Mm. and always full of colour. The colour in this film is incredible. It's beautiful. 
and you know, and scenes bleed and flow into each other so well. It felt really seamless. It felt like to me, like you're turning a page. You're in this story and you're turning a page yeah. just from scene to scene. Did yeah. you get that? I did. I really did. Because I, I liked the conversation that was happening visually, go, mm. jumping in and out of these stories, coming back to the characters, talking more than diving mm. back in a few thousand years. I love that. And Visual effects as part of that were used so sparingly but effectively to extend sets, to mm. just add things of importance that yeah. made sense. They were very reserved but very effective. And then you get the sets and the costumes, mm. which also add to that, and they're beautiful and colourful and bold. Mm. Costumes were designed by Kim Barrett, who's done Aquaman, Charlie's Angels, the most recent one, and Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. There you go. That's a mixed bag. But she's quite bloody talented. Yes. And everything in this film just looked visually spectacular, from mm. the colour of the sea to the sets and the costumes. It all has this... I guess you'd say heightened stylized colour mm. to it. And is is that a George Miller thing? If I take myself back to something like Babe, you yes. definitely get those that that heightened to turn up the saturation a little yes. bit. So that that's the first thing that came to my mind. But not so much in Mad Max, obviously, because no, that's no. more desolate. That's and, more desolate yeah. and barren. Yeah, there's not much colour no. there for, and and on purpose. But in this, I loved. Um, did you recognise at the end of the film that it was that it took place at Sydney Park, which isn't actually far from where we are right now, oh, where I live? Was it? Yes, and I loved the the saturation, the blue sky at the end of the film. Yeah, because I mean, Sydney Park is beautiful, but the sky don't look like that. Go, go Sydney. <laughs> yeah, I would, cause Josh and I saw it with my husband, and we're like, oh. That's Sydney Park. That's <laughs> where we take Mushu for walks. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think everything in this film just looked gorgeous and fantastical, which, mm. which is what you want it to look like because essentially it's a fairy tale. Yes. And you want to feel like you're inside this fairy tale and I mm. absolutely did. It was very striking, very enchanting is absolutely mm. a natural word to use here. But travelling through time over 3,000 years is no mean feat no matter how you look at it but it offers a canvas to work with that is super exciting and they did a brilliant job. We can't go past a review of 3,000 Years of Longing without talking about the performances of Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba, yes. our lead stars. Alethea, played by Swinton, is a narratologist, which I'd never really heard of before. Oh, no, not until this film. <laughs> yeah. So her work is finding the common essential truths in stories all over the world, which is mm. quite a nice job. To have, I think. It's a beautiful job to have. But the detail that Tilda Swinton infuses into her characters is unparalleled. Mm. Physically and emotionally, she's off the charts fucking good. She is sublime in this. The nuances of her performance are exceptional. One finger typing that the character does. (laughs) We loved it back. Yeah, and (laughs) and the way she reads. Yes. Seems so... Very specific. Natural. Yeah. but also unnatural, but natural mm. for the character. Does that mm. make sense? You know, it does. And you think, how did she come up with this? It's so simple, but it's so effective. But it made you connect with her more. Yeah, definitely. It made you notice things about her that were really quite interesting and fascinating, yes. which was really important in being focused on her as a character and, and, and what she was going through. It's these little idiosyncrasies mm. that the character has and you think, oh, that's a bit weird, but also it feels right. Mm. I really loved and admired her strength. I was obsessed with her intelligence. It didn't feel distant. You didn't feel like you didn't understand what she was saying. It was quite accessible intelligence, Mm -hmm. which was important. And she was deeply curious too. And and as were we watching the film to find out what is going to happen. 
Then you get Idris Elba's Jin, mm. who is very traumatized yeah. from being stuck living all these lives through a bottle, basically. Mm. And all of them have ended in tragedy and he hasn't secured his freedom. So this mm. is his moment to tell his story, almost have therapy, I guess. It was a therapy session. Yeah. Talking to Alethea and mm. trying to convince her to, instead of trick her, he's trying to convince her yes. and be honest and authentic and and it brings them together in this really beautiful way. The dynamic of these characters and therefore the actors, they, they needed to build trust between each other because she was like, well, hold on, this is a cautionary tale, wishing I can see where this is going. Mm. So I love that dynamic between them where they were getting to know each other and he had to build trust with her that he genuinely wanted to help her through the wishes. Mm. He's quite a sympathetic and vulnerable yes. genie, which is which is different. We, we don't really get that with these characters. No. He's almost a human-like genie yes. despite being immortal. Generally you get like the trickster genie mm. or you get the fun, colourful, over-the-top genie like mm. in Aladdin. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but you don't really get this authentic, humanistic mm. genie. He was a great physical choice for this role because he had to come across as strong mm-hmm. and convince you of his immortality. But he also had to have this tender vulnerability to him as it plays out in the mm. film. And then his voice, I mean, goodness gracious, like his voice is perfect <laughs> for this. His voice is like honey. Like honey, velvet, velvet mm. honey. I think Elba was the perfect choice I for agree. this role. There's such different parts that we've seen him in recently. Mm. I wasn't super convinced by Beast, but this one I bloody loved and I, I would not have guessed it, but there you go. Thank God he was here. You know what was interesting about this? We This film was all filmed in Australia. They were mm-hmm. meant to film in London, Istanbul, all these places, but the COVID-19 pandemic meant that it was consolidated yep. purely in Australia. And there was 14 days mandatory quarantine in the hotel mm-hmm. rooms. They were enduring nine-hour day rehearsals via Zoom and sometimes they went out and said lines and dialogue mm-hmm. when they were next to each other on their balconies and yeah. things. What an interesting way to develop a relationship and connection yeah. with characters through a tough times. And handed each other glasses of wine, apparently. Did they? Uh, that's fantastic. I hope they sanitised before they did that. I'm sure they did, gloves and all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I loved seeing a lot of the cameos in this film too. Just as an Australian, a lot of international people probably wouldn't pick it up. Mm-hmm. But Megan Gale's in there, yes. which is really cool. You know, I'm still salty that we didn't get the Megan Gale, George Miller, Wonder Woman superhero story, whatever that was going to be. Yes, adjust. Justice League. Everyone was cast in it. They even friggin' had publicity photos and everything. I think it was called Justice League Mortal. Is that what it was called? Pretty sure that yeah, it was a title and everything. I get salty too every time I see Megan Gale show up in a George Miller film because she she shows up in Mad Max Fury Road and I'm just under my breath. Wonder Woman. She's been cheated. She's been cheated. But we've I all love been that she cheated. We've all been cheated. And then also we've got Daniel Lim in there, who a lot of people wouldn't know, but he can be found on Sydney streets with sandwich board signs that are sometimes political, but they always put a smile on your face. And he's always happy. And I actually got a picture with him at the premiere. He was like, come and have a photo, come and have a photo. And I was like, oh my God, Daniel Lim. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I freaking love that. How cool. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean much to an international audience, but for mm. Sydney Siders, a lot of Sydney Siders would know who he is. Another cameo in this movie, I'm keen to hear your take on it. I thought it was a really, really smart way of just weaving in the fact that this story was set in present times during a pandemic. Mm. Did you notice that a lot of the extras intermittently were wearing masks 
in public, in the theatre, around stations and airports and things? I didn't, but I did notice that um, Tilda Swinton's character took her mask off as she got out of a taxi or something, or she was going into a building and she took her mask off. And I was like, oh, pandemic. It just positioned it in now. Mm. It didn't have to say anything. It didn't say anything. It doesn't say. It said in 2020 or 2022, there were just people wearing masks and I quite liked Mm. that choice. I quite liked that. There are some interesting choices in this film overall. I guess we can't really talk too much about the details of them, but there's things Mm. at the beginning, a lot of fantastical things that herald what she's about to experience Mm. before it happens. How did you feel about those kind of things? Like she bumps into people at the airport. She has a bit of a mystical experience. She faints when she's presenting at the very beginning. She's presenting a symposium and she starts seeing things in the audience. And that didn't really go anywhere. Okay, so a line of dialogue that she says is that her imagination ambushes her, takes charge. Right. So is that supposed to position us as thinking this could all be fantasy and it's not really happening? But it's open to interpretation as a lot of this film is. It's open-ended, it's ambiguous, but in a good, intelligent, smart, Mm. compelling way. That's my interpretation of of that. Yes. Because you might think, what the hell, this is all fake and and Mm. not real, but does it really matter? Because the story is there and it's yeah. beautiful and it holds meaning. And that's what George Miller wants. Yes. He wants us to take our own meaning from it. That's it. There you go. I think that might be a good point to wrap <laughs> up our review of 3,000 Years of Longing. What do you say? I agree. Well, the biggest call out for this film is how misleading its marketing was, but in a really good way. What I was met with in the cinema was a gentle cautionary tale of love and loss set against a fantastical canvas of magic and extravagance. The performances are sublime, especially from Swinton. A bedtime story for adults. I highly recommend you see this film and decide for yourself if it enchants your soul like it did mine. I'm going to rate 3,000 Years of Longing for Popcorn Kernels. Well, there you have it. I like the way your voice went really deep. Yes, you were reading a bedtime story there. I felt that change as well. (laughs) It just overcame me. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, I was also lost in the storytelling of this simple but beautiful tale of longing, desire and love. Based on the trailers alone, you could be forgiven for thinking you're walking into a wild Baz Luhrmann film, but it's definitely not what you expect in the best way possible. 3,000 Years of Longing is a visually stunning story that's wholly immersive and superbly acted, and even if the third act falls short of its impressive introduction, it's a tight one hour and 45 minutes, so let this gin pull you in. (laughs) I'm giving it four popcorn kernels, two out of five. Oh, fantastic. Well, 3,000 years of longing promises to enchant Australian audiences from September 1st. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
As we jump into the news, Tim, we don't often cover TV series, but we couldn't pass up the opportunity to attend the prime video premiere of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power this week, because (laughs) everybody knows how much I love The Lord of the Rings. We are massive Lord of the Rings fans. You are a a notch above everybody else. I always ask you this question because it blows my mind. How many times did you see The Fellowship of the Ring in cinemas? 13. Amazing. Uh, and many, many more times since. Since, yes. Yeah. I, I like to watch the extended editions once a year. Yes. Mm. Used to do a marathon with my brother Dom. but It's, uh, it's like my Christmas tradition. Is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. What, your Boxing Day Christmas tradition or, or just around that time? Yeah, Boxing Day. Amazing. When you're just full of food and you got all your presents and you just lie on the couch and watch Lord of the Rings. In a food coma. Yeah. Look, I'm so glad we were on the same page that we wanted to just briefly touch on the experience we had mm. watching the first two episodes of this series. Now, it's set thousands of years before the events of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. So the Rings of Power follows an ensemble cast of characters, both familiar and new, as they confront the long-feared re-emergence of evil to Middle-earth. Were you impressed? the first two episodes? I did not sit through two episodes of television. I sat through a film. That's what I yep. sat through. It is a movie, man. It is so cinematic. It's almost a little sad that it's going to be on TV screens instead of in cinemas. But I love the extended journey that we're going to mm. go on through a multi-part TV series. And, yes. you know, people talk about how expensive this show is. It's the most expensive TV series ever made, I think. Yes, it cost half a billion dollars. And sometimes when that happens, when a lot of money is spent on something and it doesn't feel like a lot of money has been spent on it, Mm. but this one absolutely does. You can see how much money was spent on this. You can see every dollar. And it bloody works. I'm so glad we agree because we haven't really talked about it, have we? No. Which is weird because that's only our rule when it comes to movies. (laughs) I know. And the thing is, this is not a Peter Jackson production. No. Okay. And it's similar. They wanted it to have familiar. Yeah. They want it to have the same feeling, Mm -hmm. but they do want it to be different. Yes. And I think they've walked that line really, really well. Yes. They've nailed it. Just to give you some guidance, if you're ready to throw it on Prime Video soon, the first episode is heavy on exposition, but it's beautifully paced and it's very important because it will set up the next eight episodes of series one. Mm. Episode two is much funnier, lighthearted. You really get to know the characters, Mm -hmm. the major players more. It's just beautifully done. And there's some wonderful action thrown in there too. Oh, yeah, gotcha. And you get to visit all these familiar places like Mm -hmm. Khazad Doom. Yes. You know, which in The Lord of the Rings is absolutely desolate Desolate, and devastated. Destroyed, abandoned. in this series, it's beautiful and lush and teeming with life and Mm. greenery, even though it's underground. Yes, and it's so different, but I loved going back to these familiar places. And there's also some new places. There are many, many new yes. places, hence the scale of the yes. budget. One thing I was really impressed with and, and just really thankful for was I was invested in all of the characters. Yes. Which is a really tough thing to pull off. To get an ensemble cast yep. as large as this right where you where yeah. you care about everyone. Yeah, exactly. Cared about everyone. There isn't one person or hobbit or elf or mm-hmm. dwarf that I wasn't interested to see more from and learn what their journey is going to be. I cannot wait to throw an episode three, but you referenced something earlier. Mm. I think we've been absolutely spoiled by having seen the first two episodes on the big screen yes. in the cinema because that's the only place I want to watch this because that's what it deserves. That's what it's screaming for. Yeah. 
It's a shame. I think it'll still look pretty damn sexy on oh, my yeah. TV at home. Definitely. But I will be longing for that cinema experience yeah. the whole way through. Thank you, Prime Video, for inviting <laughs> us. Thank you so much. Now, John Krasinski's If began filming this week. It stars his former The Office co-star Steve Carell alongside Ryan Reynolds, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Fiona Shaw, Alan Kim, Kaylee Fleming and Louis Gossett Jr. What a cast. I mean, yeah, we've just been talking about ensemble cast. That, yeah. That's insane. It feels like every movie is an ensemble cast these days. Yeah, I don't hate it. <laughs> cast of it. thousands. Cast of thousands. So If is based on an original idea from Krasinski about a child's journey to rediscover their imagination. Krasinski is the director. He's also the writer and executive producer of the film and it's expected to hit cinemas next year in November. Very different film because from he's done... Place. Yeah, he's done A Quiet Place and now A Quiet Place 2 and I think he's working on A Quiet Place 3 but not directing it. Right, he's producing. So he's moved on to this more fantasy yeah, film. I'm really, really keen to see what he's got in store. Let's see if he can deliver. Now, completely different programming right here. Oh, God. <laughs> in the stuff of nightmares, this first full trailer for Twisted Winnie the Pooh horror, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, still one of my favourite film titles mm-hmm. of all time, was released this week. Having abandoned his 100-acre wood friends, a grown-up Christopher Robin brings his fiance home to meet his childhood companions. And that's where it all goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but neglect has turned these once lovable creatures feral and they are out for bloody revenge in a wild series of attacks that leave a trail of death behind them. What did you think of this? Oh God, it's it's nightmare fuel. I can't wait to watch this. <laughs> I cannot wait to watch this. Do you know, this. I don't think it has a distributor yet, ah. but someone needs to pick it up quick smart. Maybe Shudder should pick it up. Oh yeah. Yeah, the horror streaming platform. Go Shudder. Go Shudder. Well, there's still no official release date for Blood and Honey, but there is serious hype building around this cooked take on the beloved A.A. Milne children's characters. You know, they look like crazy. It look it looks like a man in a fat suit wearing a dodgy Winnie the Pooh mask. mask. Yeah. But they need to. They can't look too much because of the intellectual rights. They can't look too much like Winnie the Pooh, which is a good thing because it might scar everyone for life. Yes. Oh, my God. Anyway. <laughs> Did you get a Michael Myers vibe? Oh, from yeah. It. I mean, but especially with, with when a Winnie the Pooh mask instead of a William Shatner mask. Yeah. But when he's like, hello, at the oh, window. <laughs> yes. It's like the best frame in the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Like, fuck, should I laugh or cry at this moment in time? I'm still undecided. Do both. Do both. And then crap yourself. <laughs> Okay, so look, can someone please tell us what the hell is going on at Warner Brothers Discovery? It was announced this week that the DC fandom event for this year won't be going ahead. There has been significant disruption over at Warner Brothers Discovery, especially with the DCEU with Batgirl being cancelled and never going to see the light of day, which is just a tragedy. Despite it almost being completed, yes, too. in post-production, yeah. very deep into post. They also pushed out the release dates of Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom and Shazam! Fury of the Gods. I just, yeah, I don't know what's going on. We're just in a constant state of tizzy confusion at the moment with uh, these bloody things happening. You know what, though? I think it's probably a good thing that they're starting fresh. They're kind of wiping the slate clean. I still don't think they should have done that to Batgirl. Like, I think we should still get that film. But it's good that they're reassessing their processes and just starting from the ground up. Yeah, they're just doing it a really awkward time. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Because everything everything was just ramping up for them. Yes. This was meant to be the year of DC. The year of DC. No more. Mm. Well, according to the company's statement, the return of personal events appears to be the main factor influencing the Warner Brothers' decision. 
and I quote, in connection with the return of personal events at Warner Brothers, Discovery is excited to be able to connect with our fans live on numerous comic books around the world and will not be planning a DC fandom for this year. It's because it's a it's an online digital event. I guess it kind of makes sense, but what about all of us international folks down here in Australia? Bloody loved watching DC fandom. Can I come too? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fly us all over there then. Thanks, Warner Brothers. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah. I wouldn't be so rubbed the wrong way with this announcement if they had, but don't worry, it's going to be an in-person thing and it's going to be on this date here and there. They just don't have anything to sub it out, so you're just left with this big void of disappointment. Right, yeah. First images and casting were revealed this week for Millie Vanilli biopic Girl, You Know It's True, which is currently filming. I love the head pop you yeah, did there. I was doing a bit of a head pop. So for those unfamiliar, Millie Vanilli was duo Fabrice Morvan and Robert Pilatus, who had three hits in the late 80s and 90s with tracks Blame It on the Rain, Girl, I'm Gonna Miss You, and Baby Don't Forget My Number, and earned a Best New Artist Grammy Award in 1989, which is a highly, highly coveted Grammy to win. Yes, but then, hold up, scandal. It was soon revealed that other vocalists were really singing their songs while they mimed and danced along, and when the truth came out, they was stripped of their Grammy. It was a whole thing. And that was the first time that's ever happened in recording history. This shocked, shocked the world and the industry. It was absolutely madness. So newcomers Ellen Ben Ali and Tajan Naji have been cast as the group's frontmen with Simon Verhoeven writing and directing. I really want to watch this film. Me too. Like it feels like everybody's getting a biopic these days, (laughs) but I'll absolutely watch this one. We approve. In some devastating news this week though, screen icon and climate advocate Jane Fonda has been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and is undergoing chemotherapy. So Fonda took to her Instagram account to share the news, but she remained hopeful saying that it is a very treatable cancer with 80% of people surviving. The Oscar winner also took the opportunity to share how cancer teaches the importance of adapting to new realities and that she's paying attention to the lessons it holds for her. I am so inspired by this woman. Yeah, she's so inspirational. She's the picture of taking lemons and making lemonade. Isn't she just? Well, we wish her a speedy recovery. I believe she's going to undergo six months of chemotherapy. So we'll see her on the other side and hopefully being... Yeah, we wish her all the best. Yes, that's right. Well, I mean, it's not a particularly happy note to end a jam-packed episode of Popcorn Podcast on, but we have met the end. We reviewed George Miller's 3,000 Years of Longing. And you can see that film in Australian cinemas from September 1st, and we do recommend that you go watch it. All right, friends, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We are now on YouTube, guys, where you will find our latest celebrity video interviews. Simply search Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single one. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.